Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Light. We're just a matter of days away now. Football is so close to returning. We're going to have some actual football to watch in England. I'm really excited. And also, we have a guest on the show today. So, without further ado, my name's Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson. This is Under the Lights, and we're off to Kingston Corner. Welcome to the latest episode of Under the Lights, and it's an exciting one because we are just at the time of recording, just over 24 hours away from the return of the Premier League. We've been waiting eagerly for months and months, and we've got a couple of games up tomorrow, and then uh, and then also, obviously, the big one, 6pm British summertime, Saints visit Carrow Road. You can listen to our previous episode on the podcast where me and Tom go through all 20 teams and just freshen up the memories of all of you for uh, the Premier League and, and who's got what to play for. But today we talk all things Saints and we look forward to Friday. We look at uh, what's happened since that last podcast, things good, things not so good. And really, we're, we're all just... Buzzing for uh, buzzing for Friday, but the Premier League in general, Tom. I am counting down the hours when I'm working, just hoping that clock gets to five. So I know that's another day closer to watching some football. I've actually managed to get my granddad is coming down for the the weekend. He's going to be part of our bubble here in in England, so he's looking forward to watching the football as well. He says it's not quite the uh, the Bundesliga doesn't quite do it for him. And I can understand where he's coming from. It's great to have. Your own foot, your own football coming back. So I'm very excited, Callum. You must be also the same. Just counting down the hours. Well, like I said, it's looking now, and it's uh, at the time of recording. It's it's Tuesday night, and obviously tomorrow night we've got a, a double header of those games in hand that we've uh, we've previously discussed. But we're talking all things Saints. Um, and the second reason uh, we're excited to bring you in this episode is it's the first for Under the Lights, um, and we've got ourselves a guest. I mean, Tom been looking to do things to reach out a little bit further and, and, and do things a little bit different than just us guys talking to you whilst, whilst we're in lockdown. And we've got Matthew Markstone, you might know from the uh, Slampton Delivery podcast. Uh, you can find Matt on Twitter and Instagram at SFC D-E-L-L underscore I-V-E-R-Y so that's at SFC Dell underscore Ivory uh, Matt is our uh, our American fellow Saints fan all the way over in California thanks for joining us Matt how are you doing? I'm um, doing alright thanks for having me on guys I, uh, I appreciate it I'm honoured to be the first guest and uh, I think you set the bar nice and low and you know I think the guests will only get better from, from here on out I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but we yeah, no, we really appreciate you, you coming on. I know it's uh, relatively early over there. We're going to talk to you for a little bit about what it's like uh, over in the states, following Premier League, following Saints. A little bit about you. Then we'll uh, then we'll talk about what's been going on in terms of Samson Football Club in this past week or so, and then we will preview that massive return, the big game at Carrow Road in just three days. Time. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I, let's, let's think where to start here. I mean, really, I don't think there are going to be too many Southampton football club fans over in America. I know soccer is growing over there and the MLS year by year. 
tell us a little bit about how long you've been following soccer and specifically the Saints and, and, and why the Saints? So, yeah, as you said, not, not a ton of Southampton fans um, around. I can kind of like in my head, uh, I have like a mental map, at least of the ones that, that I know. There's, you know, there's a couple up in Oregon. There's a couple in Seattle. In California, I think Dave Lee is uh, is the closest Saints fan to me, and he's about two and a half, three hours away from me, um, kind of in Central California, and a couple guys in the Bay Area, and then a group of like five or six guys that live down in L.A. And other than that, like uh, if you wear the jersey around or, or the kit around, it's, it's a bit of a conversation piece. Uh, people go like, oh, you know, what is that? Why do you have that? And then you start talking to them, and then they kind of go like, like you really chose them, and it's like, yes, yes, I did. And then then they kind of look at you. Either they're like very impressed or they are, are just like they think you're weird and either one is, is usually fine. But for me, I didn't really follow football or soccer. Um, you know, I played a little bit as a kid. I was a goalie, but I was like eight. And then basically baseball was my entire life. And so when I got to be a parent, my son at eight stopped playing baseball, wanted to play soccer. And I said, OK, like, let's let's go. So let's start watching it. Let's, let's learn about it. Let's do this. And I, I'm, I'm quite obsessive. And so from that point on, I kind of really started to watch and pay attention. And, and then it kind of went from that to really falling in love with it and being really, um, just kind of in awe of it. And, and as I started watching the league and and, and the world cup played a, a role in that too, it kind of the world cups were coming around and those were big kind of spectacles because Americans will get together to watch those games, those matches. And, and when America was actually, you know, in it, um, and, and that, that proved to be, uh, a, a kind of a, a unifying experience for everybody. But in terms of saints, when saints came back up to the premier league, it kind of coincided with, with my son's kind of push to, to play, uh, and also NBC's coverage over here of, of the, of the, the premier league. And, and that really put it kind of into my life because we don't pay for cable and so the NBC was carrying all of the games and you could watch them basically for free and and so with that and the football we were playing under Pochettino and then under Koeman it just kind of like it all looked good to me and then the, you had the Southampton Way documentary that came out from NBC and it kind of went into the academy and that was a huge kind of draw for me as well the baseball team that I support uh, the Houston Astros, who most of have been in the news for cheating uh, in in their their run to the play through the playoffs and to win a World Series over the past couple of seasons, they their academy system is really really um, in depth and, and very they, they they made a huge mistake back in like 2005. They sold all of their kind of their farm system players, their academy players, the, the baseball equivalent, uh, to get one player to try to win a World Series, and they failed. And then they promised never to do that again. And then they kind of went through this period of rebuilding that was we were awful you know losing over 100 games several seasons and that's it, it was pretty depressing but we all knew that at the end of it we were going to be good and sure enough like we came out they won the world series and all that stuff but so the academy system for me was was really important and just kind of all of that together coupled with the fact that i teach at a high school and we are also the saints and our colors are also red and white means that i can wear the shirt to school on a friday and nobody will say anything um and, and it all kind of works Is sorry to take up the entire show with that <laughs> is that just pure coincidence with your school or is that have you had a uh, helping hand in that no no so that my, the school has been around since it's the third oldest school i think in california 
uh, or the, the sorry, that's not true. It's the third. Uh, we have one building that's been there. It's the third oldest continuously used building in the California school system, and so it's it's been around a while. It's been around since uh, the late eighteen hundreds, um, and we've always been the Saints. And that's where I went to school. I was a student there, and now I'm a teacher there. And uh, our soccer team is actually uh, you know the best sports team we have. It's, it's I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but uh, those kids are all better than me. So it sounds it sounds to me like you didn't really sort of need to go looking for a team because there are so many things that kind of Southampton shows you more than anything else obviously the, the Saints and the red and white and, and all of that the fact that you were interested from the from the Astros in, in the academy and obviously Southampton uh, are big on that then you then you watch a little bit of the football and, and we're playing well we're playing good attractive football and it's it's easy to go from Man United or, or Man City at that point but it's it's not as fun in my opinion <laughs> and, um, and there are probably a lot more local fans to you that follow those those big sides but yeah then you see the documentary and it kind of just seals it for you you don't really have yeah. to go go researching too much it just kind of uh, just kind of fell into place for you right 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 and, and there was one little bit of research i did i mean as you mentioned i'm from california i live i don't live on the beach i'm not like uh, that but we're close you know it's 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 12 minutes to, to get to the beach and so i did look at the weather and if you kind of look at weather in, in Southampton, it's supposed to be one of the sunniest places in England and that like kind of sealed it. So it was like, oh, like, you know, all of the, all, like you said, all of the things kind of lined up. It would have been really difficult to choose anything else. And I, I can, I, I haven't been disappointed. It's been a couple of weird years where, you know, watch Pellegrino and uh, the, those types of things. But really it's, it's been, fan, it's been a fantastic experience, mostly because of the people that I've, that I've come into contact with you guys and with everybody else that, that I talk to is, uh, you know, mostly really welcoming and, and really friendly and willing to help out, you know, the, the American guy figure, figure out the sports. So it's, it's been nice. Oh, brilliant. It's a, it's a good, it's a good community that the, the club's got. And, uh, it's a lovely day of weather here today. And it, I, I might even say that we could, might potentially be rivaling the likes of yourselves with the, with the blue skies and the hot weather that we've got today. I just want to ask you one more thing, and then obviously Tom, I'm sure, can uh, we'll weigh in with with a couple of questions. But in terms of being a football fan in America, I mean, if you if you say you follow football when you follow the Saints over there, then they probably think you're talking about the New Orleans Saints and. and NFL, so it's, you've got to be pretty clear. But in terms of soccer over in the states, what tends to be bigger? Do, do, are those that follow it, and obviously it's a growing sport, and it's not. It doesn't really compete with with the big four sort of American sports, globe, uh, what, you know, sort of nationwide. But if you're a soccer fan and you're following it, is the Premier League the main draw and will be what most people watch, or is the, the MLS turn into that? And you'll find that a lot of people follow their local team and their, their Major League Soccer team rather than the kind of elite level of the Premier League on like you said on NBC. Yeah, so it, it's a little it's a little weird. There, the, the campus kind of split. You have people who, and I and I'm definitely guilty of this. Look at European football. Uh, look at the Premier League. Look at the Bundesliga, and just think like we uh, like we want all of our players to go play over there. Like I want all of, uh, the national team players to go play for for big teams elsewhere because I think the competition is better. It will make us better. And then you have people who want that those those players to stay here in the states and really push to get the Premier League better. But then you see the the difference when there's lots comes over here at the end of his career and just destroys you know runs through the league and when Wayne Rooney comes over here and is is running people like running our best players down and tackling them and turning and putting in crosses from the halfway line and then he can't even you know hardly get in the team elsewhere it's it's a little bit it, it's a humbling experience I guess and so you definitely have camps of people 
Um, but I, I actually think, and, and I don't live in a big city, so I don't have like a hometown team. I think if you go to places where, you know, they, they have a team that, that is within their kind of community that they get a little bit more traction. But for me, I mean, I live like three hours from Los Angeles and about four from, from San Francisco, uh, or say Santa, the Bay area, San Jose. So those would be the two closest kind of top level, uh, top division teams. So I, I would say that it's actually easier for me to watch the premier league than it is for me to watch, um, MLS. And that's just, that's just the way it is. But there are people who prefer to watch MLS, but I think, even those people will turn on a Premier League game because it is just a, such a huge draw. And, and, you know, obviously in America, we have people who come here from all over the world, but a lot of those people will find players they know, maybe from the, their, where they come from, whether no matter where they, they, they moved from, they will find those players in the Premier League. And so they will kind of watch that way. Or, you know, we have a lot of people from, that have moved or, or emigrated from England over the years or family lineages that go back. And so they watch those teams because their dads were actually Liverpool or Newcastle or, or, or you know, Arsenal or, or Saints fans in some cases. And so that, that does work. So um, I'd say the Premier League definitely a bigger thing. But you have you get a weird look if you if you just completely dismiss MLS. Uh, which I am guilty of sometimes, and then I apologize uh, for that. Although I, I do like the, the the Dynamo, that is my that is my team. Uh, it tends to be a Houston thing for me, but you know I don't get to watch them nearly as much as I want to, just because it's it's much more difficult than just turning Saints on, which I have every game, access to for for every game on demand whenever I want. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Tom, but I, I think if um, if Matt had come into following a, the Premier League team a little bit earlier, maybe by a few years, he, he may well have ended up a Fulham fan and we wouldn't be having this conversation because I remember a, a point, I think the American national team sounds like it's a, it's a really big thing, especially when the World Cup comes around and the whole sort of nation can get in together and, and there have been a, a few players who have made it to the Premier League and made it at that level and there are some now, but there was a period maybe about 10 years ago where half of Fulham's team seemed to be Americans. I remember you had um, McBride and Dempsey and Bocanegra coming through, I think, Later, later down the line, Tim Marine. There are some clubs who sort of have that in Europe that kind of have that connection with with, uh, with the US and get some talent from an earlier age from over there. Yeah, um, I, a lot of a lot of Fulham fans over here, and it, it is the US men's national team, especially when you get some of those those stars, those those guys that you talked about, McBride and, and Dempsey and Bocanegra. The people, especially depending on when you came into it, really latch onto those guys and look to those guys, and and that is kind of what drew a lot of people to it. The problem for a lot of people was at that point the coverage of the Premier League here in the United States was, was terrible. Fox was carrying it at that point. It was difficult to get, you know, uh, sometimes we have Fox as a second channel, FS2 or Fox Sports 2. I don't even know how you get it because I think, uh, you know, my mom pays for all of the packages and doesn't have it. Uh, my paper zero, the packages also don't have it. So I don't even know how to watch those games. So maybe it's just where I live. I don't know. Uh, but once the NBC took it over, it, it kind of, I think, really exploded. And they've done a, a great job. Uh, for the most part of, of uh, allowing us access. I mean, for $60 a year, I think we can watch every game and that which is just ridiculous. Tom, I don't know, I don't know what you, what your thoughts are on the MLS and that as it grows, I think there's going to be a greater influence on the Premier League and in Europe with those players coming through and obviously the, how big sport is in America and, and, and how soccer is becoming. We've got some People, some players going over there, like with Latstans and the Roonies at the tail end of their career. Other players like um, like Pulisic, probably the main one in in the Premier League, who did so well uh, in the Bundesliga and, and and looks a real player. How, how do you think that's going to impact the Premier League going forward, Tom? I think the MLS is definitely growing. There are some 
standout players in, in America at the moment. One that stands out for me actually is um, Martinez. At, I think it's Atlanta where he was uh, partnered with Almiron before he came over to Newcastle. And, and those two were sort of joined at the hip when it came to play. They celebrated together. He was the one that was found on the time. And he's, I wouldn't be surprised if he made the move over to a European club at some point. There are some other good talents. I mean, more on the old side, but Nani, of course, playing as trader, Orlando at the moment, former Manchester United winger. Players like Zlatan going over have highlighted that it is a very watchable league. There are some very good players there and it is there is a lot of quality. And I think as football grows, there's going to be certainly a lot more standout players to, to keep an eye on. I mean, another one that comes to mind is Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich, who is yeah, yeah. storming, yeah, at, yeah. storming at the moment. And um, he's kept David Alaba, who is arguably the best left back in it was the left be- best left back in the world at one point. He's actually keeping him out of the squad, so he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, Matt, one question I want to uh, I want to ask you is obviously uh, it's not the easiest trip in the world to come and watch a Southampton game, but have you managed to made it make it over to the UK to uh, watch Saints home or away? Yeah, so we we made it once. the The idea was we were going to make it for two matches, but because Arsenal were in the the, the Europa League. Uh, one match got moved to, to a Sunday, which means uh, we didn't get to see that one. But we did make it over, and I managed to make it to uh, to West Ham, actually, uh, to the London Stadium to watch Saints lose three uh, nothing in Mark Hughes's first ever uh, uh, match. But honestly, like the, the trip wasn't that bad. It's just a, it's a long plane flight, a couple hour drive, long plane flight. But um, got up, and Freddie from the ugly inside kind of said, "Just stay at your hotel. I'll meet you there, and I'll, I'll basically make sure you get to the match without." you know, going the wrong way on the tube or, or figuring that out. So I have to say without Freddie, uh, it would have been, it would have been a complete disaster, but we, we made it. Uh, and then we actually made it down to St. Mary's as well to uh, see the England women's national team play against uh, Wales in a world cup qualifier. So we did, we did get to see the stadium as well and uh, see the, the, the town a little bit, the city a little bit. And uh, it was fantastic. And I was, I was actually hoping to, we, we had plans to go to Chicago for a big kind of Saints meetup for everybody this year. Uh, and then COVID-19 hit. And so that obviously got uh, canceled. So, so yeah, unfortunately, only only the one match. But um, and I now have some credit for plane flights, so I should be making it over. As long as I don't say that too loud so my family hears. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Well, it's 3-0 defeat away to West Ham isn't, isn't the best result to start off when you come over to say, I think I remember that. That fixture. Oh no, it wasn't the fixture that was last season where Hasenhutl decided that he was just going to play in experimental squads because we were pretty much safe. But it was actually one where Mario Lamina managed to give away a two-nil lead inside about fifteen minutes. So I can understand. Yep. I can understand that that's not the best game to start off with. One more question is: since you've been supporting Saints, if you were able to go to able to be at one match over the past ten years or so, which which game would you've most liked to be at? Oh man, well. That's, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the experience that I had during the EFL Cup final, I was with a group of people. I went to like a, a bar down in, in L.A. I just got up and drove down there and walked in, didn't realize it was a Manchester United bar. So the bar is full of, of Manchester United supporters. And then somebody way off in the corner says like, oh, like he's with us. There were seven of us, you know, and so we together just watched the match. And, and, and there was one guy there from... Um, from Southampton, who just happened to be on a on a 
a cross country road trip in America happened to be in LA. And he said like, these are the songs you're we're singing these and, and you don't stop until I stop. And it was like, okay, so we just did it. And that was fantastic. So I wouldn't miss that, but I think the semifinal, I think I would want to be at the semifinal, uh, the second leg and Anfield just for the tension, just for the, just for, for all of that. And, and then, you know, of course the, the long goal that kind of seals it, but like, I think that one would be it just because it's, uh, it's a little bit different than just a standard premier league match. Like I think the, the tension might be a little bit higher. Uh, but I think if I had to pick one, that would be it. Yeah. So I, I think that's it. I, I, I could probably come up with a, a thousand other examples of things that I would want, but I think I'll, I'll stick with that one and just, just be there yeah it certainly was a fantastic moment and one that i think i think the long goal against liverpool is probably my most what youtube video of a southampton goal it's it's but well i think the majority of the views did it just came in the uh, the days after that where it was just on repeat i couldn't concentrate on any uh, uni work what we're going to do now is we're let, let's have a look at unless callum i don't know if you have any more questions or if you want to move on to uh discussing the previous the, the week that we've just had saints wise no no the one thing i would say is it's um it's it's not all bad, Matt, because my first game I ever saw was a 3 0 home defeat um, by a Leeds in the late 90s. And, and I've, I've seen a, a lot of good and a lot of bad since. So, um, yeah, you're, you're in a good club. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be okay. Like, it's, it can only get better, right? Like, I had to go to the London Stadium, which isn't really fit for, for football. And then, you know, the, the match itself wasn't great. So, uh, all things to improve on from there, I think. Kind of a typical uh, Saints fan experience, actually. He could have gone and watched us win comfortably, but it wouldn't really have been the Samson way. So it's almost almost a rite of passage you have to take, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit as we go through, as and when, about, about your experience of, of all these different things and how you'll be tuning in to the big game against Norwich, everything else. Oh, we're here to talk all things Saints. And I, I just uh, we'll open up firstly, I think it's a good place to start following the conversations we had last time, all the news was about contract signings for Hassan Utul and Long and a lack of signing for Oibieg. Uh, and the fact that obviously Hassan Utul was planning on signing players up once we reached 36 points. We're on 34 and have been for a few months whilst we wait for the restart. But another player put pen to paper during the week and um, and that was a player we haven't seen an awful lot of but looks like he is going to come back after the restart as a much more integral part of the Southampton midfield than he was uh, just a few months ago when we went into lockdown and that's that's uh, Will Smallbone just wondering what your guys thoughts are on that I, I regard him from what I've seen really highly and I think he could be the best thing to come out of our academy uh, since James Ward-Prowse, but uh, a good move for Saints to do that now? Yeah, I think he's obviously a very good young talent. He looked very composed on the pitch. I remember when you and I did the Aston Villa game, the Smallbone, I believe, I think that was his Premier League debut, and he slotted in yeah. seamlessly. And there was, a level, there was a level of maturity there in his play where he was going up against some physical midfield players and just finding his feet very well. Just He played a good number of crossfield passes that showed a real level head he I, I hope that he's used quite a bit in these remaining fixtures because as you said it, it's strange he's not an ex- he's not a flair player he's not someone that's going to get you out of your seat but as a competent midfielder which is something that not that saints have lacked but it, it never hurts to have a plethora of good players in the center of the park he looks like someone that could be a part of that midfield too that hasn't hootle wants to develop for a considerable 
number of a considerable time or the amount that uh, we're able to keep him. Matt, what from what you've seen of Will Smallbone so far, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm really impressed. As you said, he's not not a flare player. Uh, you know, initial thought when you see him on the pitches, you're like, who who let the mascot stay on and put him in the eleven? Who won the competition? Um, because he just looks young. You know, he just looks young and kind of maybe like he's going to get pushed around. But then if you watch him, he really, for the most part, tends to to, to be able to tackle, to be able to uh, to play the ball. And um, I was really impressed with the just the few clips that that came out of that friendly that we we just went through, um, especially. I think for the second goal he he played a, a big part in that and yeah i think it's going to be good to, to once again have some academy uh products coming through because i think we kind of you know maybe got away from that a little bit and and this shows uh a, a little bit that he's that the academy is going to be actually producing some players that maybe hasano can actually use and i mean the worst case scenario is that or maybe i don't know if it's best or worse but uh, if he if he proves to be to be good and somebody wants to come in uh, now and take him away from us. Now we have a, uh, a significant contract that they're going to have to buy us out of. So that should should get us some money for it. it. Looking down the road, as we know, that's kind of how the club likes to to work. But um, uh, overall, really impressed with him. Um, I just hope he, you know, he'll come up against some some midfielders who will want to push him around, and he'll have to kind of establish himself. But I think he's I think he's got all the tools to be able to do that. I think he's the most exciting player or youth prospect we've had at the club for a long while. I think we've been known for bringing through um, academy players, but when you when you go through the list, actually, I don't think we've we've done that hugely since we returned to the Premier League what with the money that you have to spend. And I think it's easier in the Championship and in League One for youth players to come through and make a real mark because obviously the level is lower and in the Premier League, some players have come through. Obviously, Will Prowse has taken a while and, and, and certain managers didn't really use him, but he came through. The likes of Matt Target sort of came through now under Harsenet, so you're seeing uh, a few more of the younger players being used. And, and he mentioned that goal, I think, in, in against Bristol City, about three one-twos in a row for Will Smallbone. Um, and he made his way from the halfway line with the header on the left-hand side to the sort of right of the D and just... Uh, the first touch he took and then laid it in it, it almost looks like he's going to be one of those players that doesn't need to break into a sprint because he's always in the right place and he just looks a real intelligent player I, I, I'm yet to see what he's going to offer off the ball because obviously we know Ralph Lux played two central midfielders and, and the players like Hoybier and Ward Prowse as he's developed and Romeo are real battlers and, and they work hard and they're athletes but um, I think Will Smallbone is, is a different kind of central midfielder, maybe a player that we didn't realise we were lacking uh, in terms of a ball player and a real calm head. Do you think that's something... I mean, I, I can see him definitely getting into the team for the rest of the season and um, potentially being a starter by by next season because Ralph definitely likes to use the, the younger players and uh, if you're, as the old saying goes, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Is that the sort of player that you think can add a different dimension to Ralph's philosophy and... and, and the squad, Matt. Yeah, yeah. You just wonder how exactly he fits in. You know, for so long we wondered where we're, where Prowse would play, whether it's you know out wide on the right or in a, in a in a midfield two or in a midfield three, or how you fit him in. And the, the qualities that you bring up about Smallbone there make me think that I, I guess I worry. The one thing I would worry about is is the, the physical aspect of can he can he do the things that he's naturally gifted at and, and naturally set to do while still doing all of the battling that, that Ralph's system requires. And, and, you know, how's it going to look when we're 10 weeks into the season and we've played a midweek match and now we go into a, an early Saturday kickoff 
and he's got to do that again. Like, can he, can he, will he be able to kind of withstand that? I guess is my only, my only worry, but the passes and, and just, you know, that, that little one, two sequence that you, you talked about uh, in, in the Bristol uh, friendly, you know, so you look at who's involved in that and that header that he, he starts with, and then the, the movement off the ball and then the, the, to the touch with things. And you can just see kind of all of these things where, you know, I think players like Danny Ings are going to appreciate that because we don't have that in the team. And, and Hoiberg would go in there and probably win the ball back, whether it's from our own, our own team or somebody else. And then it's, it, that pass is probably going to go sideways. And so as you said, he offers something completely different, which I think will make our offense better. You just kind of wonder how that looks defensively. And if that means a slight system tweak or, or, or whatever, but we'll just have to kind of see how, how Ralph utilizes them over the, over the next couple of uh, weeks and hopefully, you know, into, into next season as well, especially if, if Hoiberg does decide to, to move on, you know, then, then there's that, that spot there for him to battle for. And, and uh, it would be really nice to have two Academy prospects sitting next to each other in central midfield, kind of running the game for us, which I think all Saints fans would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we talk about that. We'll talk about that. Goal. We'll move on to that uh, friendly against Bristol city. That was actually the first time that Saints have been in action since being in lockdown all of those months ago. So it was a good opportunity to test the fitness of the players. And to do that, obviously, we played three periods of 45 minutes. Uh, the match report still said first half, second half and third half. So obviously they're lacking on their um, maths knowledge for a, for a minute there. But all the goals came in the first... <laughs> All the goals came in the first 45 minutes and a three, what ended up being a 3-2 win for Saints and the, uh, the 11 on the pitch was changed regularly. We've seen the highlight, highlights. Obviously, that seems to have... All of the goals seem to have epitomised Saints entirely this season. Obviously, Danny Ings... Uh, there to pounce on a defensive error. Stuart Armstrong as well, um, pouncing on that first defensive error. And Armstrong's really come forward as the season's gone on. I think he'll be a very integral player as we come towards the end of the season. But defensively, both Bristol City goals are quite poor. And I think that still highlights Callum, that we still have a lot of work to do at the back. We do, and we know that we do, uh, but there's nothing, there's nothing we can do without a transfer window um, and to strengthen, and we've missed the opportunity to do that in two transfer windows when it was when it was paramount, really. So I think Arsenal will definitely have that at the top of his list because he probably argue that our best centre-back this season has been Bednarak and he probably came into the season or certainly the end of last as a third or fourth choice. But it's, it's how we defend as, as a unit as well and it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you can only take so much from friendlies and, and you can almost describe this as a pre-season friendly because players have, in fact, they've had less training than they would have had in a pre-season. So it, it intrigues me that all five games all five goals we run came in the first third of the game. Uh, I mean, the first one was in the first 40 seconds, I believe. Uh, I wonder if that is because there was such an intensity at the start that certainly Sampson couldn't keep up from watching the highlights. Uh, Saints were at it from the off and they forced those defensive errors. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But also, we, yeah, we saw it. We've seen it millions of times where they changed the personnel and the whole rhythm of the game dissipates. You see that with, with England under Sven when you make 11 changes at half-time. But I, th- I think, yeah, defensively, uh, we do need to improve. We've talked in our last episode about the Premier League and uh, I think Saints aren't going to be dragged into a relegation battle. I think we've got more than enough quality to get a couple of wins. 
before the end of the season. Hopefully we can get them early and Ralph can start looking at players like Smallbone, like we talked about, maybe like Kevin Danzo, players that haven't really had that opportunity to um, to stake their claim in the team under not a lot of pressure for the last four or five games of the season. And that'll give him an idea of exactly what he's what he's got on his squad and what he needs to uh, what he needs to bring in. How did you rate that? Not just the performance against Bristol City, but the idea that we played three lots of 45 minutes, you gave everyone a game. Uh, do you think that's a good way of, of handling this unique sort of second preseason, Matt? Yeah, I think it's always going to be challenging to, to get guys up to speed right away. And, you know, sometimes when I look at the, you know, the initial lineups and things like that, it's I, I, I would maybe have liked to see the, the first team out there for the first 45 minutes, just, you know, but maybe at this point, Ralph is trying to manage all of those things. And, um, you know, we, we talked about the goals coming and when they came and you look at our center back partnership uh, during that time and you say, oh, like, maybe that's, that's, that says something, you know, maybe that's not going to be guys, guys that won't be around, um, come, come next year. But, um, I, I think right now it's, it's just more about managing fitness and, and kind of making sure that nobody suffers a, an injury because, you know, being off for that long, it doesn't matter kind of what you're doing on your own. The the level of intensity that's going to be there once games start going means that that guys are going to to strain themselves and probably uh, increase the likelihood that they'll get hurt. So managing everybody's minutes that way, letting guys get a run out, um, letting giving them everybody a chance to show themselves and and, and kind of prove themselves for. Uh, a possible spot over the next kind of nine weeks, I think, is or nine matches, I guess, is important. And you know, just giving guys like Vestergaard a, a, another chance to say, like, hey, I, I I can help the team during this time, and and maybe also put himself in the shop window. So I, I'm I'm all for kind of how they managed it. Although I do wish that they would not have called it halves. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, maybe maybe they just didn't sleep enough because they've been, you know, enjoying themselves or whatever it is, and, and lack of sleep will do that to you. I'm speaking in firsthand. I made a, a couple of terrible mistakes and, and a couple of things recently because they're just not not getting enough rest. But anyway, uh, not not related. But yeah, it was a good three two win. A win's a win. Um, and like like Tom said, Danny Ings on the score sheet. Uh, we've, we've managed to get that win. We've managed to, to get a penalty save in the same corner um, from Angus Gunn as in the same corner as uh, McCarthy did in our last game against Newcastle. So everyone's had a good run out and, uh, and all eyes on Friday. Although, just before we move on to Norwich, and they've got kind of a, um, a useful segue in this conversation, obviously a, a Norwich player tested positive for COVID-19 during a week. And, and Tom... Only a couple of hours ago, a, uh, a Bristol City player tested the same. Yeah, it's only it, was, it only came out just a few minutes before we were going to start recording uh, this evening. And yeah, a Bristol City player, of course, unnamed, uh, has tested positive. Whether they were involved in the friendly against Saints remains to be seen. But that is certainly going to raise a few eyebrows and maybe pretend, they're going to have discussions potentially about whether... Saints against Norwich is likely to go ahead at the moment, especially if both the team that they have just played have tested positive and the team they're about to come up against has also had a positive test. So there might be some real anxiety about the Saints players of whether they want this game to go ahead. Now, of course, there will be testing done before the games and if there are sufficient negative tests for a game to take place, then I imagine it will go ahead. But this is a problem, I think, that 
was always going to happen when football came back is that teams are going to get positive tests. It's going to be incredibly difficult to eradicate COVID-19 entirely, especially with so many people coming together in a short space of time. And I think now comes the real test for the Premier League to how are they going, how are they going to manage teams getting positive tests and whether these games are actually going to go ahead. So Callum, your your thoughts on on that positive test for for Bristol City. Do you think it's a case of we'll just have to wait and see for how Southampton test, or do you think that it's certainly a point now to question whether the Norwich game should go ahead? I think, well, it's the same for Norwich. But I mean, the Norwich players has since been tested again and is now negative. But that's not really the point. The point is that at some point they were positive and, and could have passed something on. So... I've just uh, I've just read it and the um, again and the test on the Bristol City player was done on Thursday and the game itself I believe was it was after that wasn't it yeah, yeah. Friday right yeah Friday so so in that case I would and it says as a member of a person from either the playing or the coaching staff but. Yeah, the Bristol City um, unnamed person uh, tested positive on Thursday, was asymptomatic. So with contract training, contact to training, could well have passed it on. Someone else could have been asymptomatic, played in that game or coached in that game. And it could affect other players. I think think what we're fortunate enough to have in this country now is testing, which I'm sure as soon as that news broke, a on the Norwich player, I think they played Tottenham, so all the Tottenham players would have would have had a test, and so Norwich. But I'm sure as soon as that broke from Bristol City, that the testing, uh, the guys who did the testing would have been straight down to Staplewood um, and tested absolutely everyone. So although that without testing, I don't think we'd, we'd be able to go forward with with football because something like this will happen, then everyone would have to isolate for two weeks, meaning the club couldn't play like two or three games and it would have been an absolute mess. Uh, I think the fact that there's testing available is, is, is a positive and I'm sure if, if a number of players test positive and do have it from Bristol City or Southampton, then you'll have to think about delaying some some games. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, and kind of all along the same lines, the spread of this is, you know, there's still so much, you know, I think information out there and it's hard to kind of decide what's what's best, but uh, the safety of the players and their families and, and the coaching staff and everybody involved is, is obviously the most important thing. But with the testing, I think that as long as, as they're, they're getting that and the results are, are, are coming back negative, that moving forward because it's so important so vital that these games kind of go ahead just from a financial standpoint for for the league that without it some of these some of these teams won't be around and and it's not my favorite thing to even you know put players at risk or put their families at risk or anything else but i think it's kind of the situation that that we're in and i think you know the the norwich player came back and now it's a negative test and so we don't know if it you know exactly how that happens and it's been an independent like is i think they went to their own doctor and had the test done so you know if i'm a player and it's like oh no look like i'm i'm fine like look i didn't have it and that's dangerous you know you're 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 playing or you're walking a fine line i guess and i and i worry about that because i think that the player safety is and the safety of everybody else involved is is the most important thing and so yeah i'm I'm really conflicted honestly uh about the whole thing and and i i wish we could get through without any 
any any of these positive tests, but that's just kind of unrealistic, and these these issues are going to come up. So uh, I think that if, if if positive tests come back, that obviously the, it should be shut down, and, and we we shouldn't. I, I won't complain about that if that happens, because I think that's that's way more important than, than finishing a football season. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's difficult for us to follow because. Uh, the information we were given is so minimal. I mean, like that Norwich one, for instance, he, they tested positive. Now they've tested negative. Is that because it may have been a false reading or is that because they did have it, but now they don't have it? Uh, you know, maybe they were at, towards the end of the, the period at which they would have it and, and you know, now don't need to self-isolate. I know they're going to have a third test to see if that player now has the antibody test to see if they've got the antibodies to fight their off, which means that they, they did have it at some point. Um, just reading more into the Bristol City one. So the test, positive test came through from the testing carried out on Thursday by all clubs, but more tests on other staff are all negative. So I would I would read into that, although every caution would be taken at Southampton, I would read into that the... Uh, that none of the players that were involved in that friendly uh, were positive and had all been tested. I mean, I think I would think that everyone would have been tested before any kind of friendly, regardless of, of whether someone's had it or not, because you're suddenly integrating with a whole new set of, of human beings. But it is it's definitely something that um, that will have to. Well, we won't, but the, the governing bodies will have to try and uh, keep an eye on and and, and make sure that the um, the spread is minimal, not just from a football point of view, but yeah, for, from for our nation. Yeah, there'll be plenty of news about that coming up. I'm sure in the build-up to the the game starting, we'll find out who's uh, who's going to be able to play. And obviously, when the team sheets come out, we will then know whether there which players may have tested positive in the uh, in the days leading up. Let's assume that the game against Norwich on Friday is going to go ahead. Let's talk about starting 11. Now it's been as I said a long time since Saints' last game, a 1-0 defeat to Newcastle. Musa Jenepo got a straight red card, so he was banned for the first three matches back. So that must be a slight agony for him, knowing that he's still unable to return for another couple of weeks whilst his teammates are getting excited about being able to go out there and play some football again. Let's go with each other. Who who are we who are we starting in goal? Are we are we are we putting Alex Matt, are you putting Alex McCarthy straight in? He's been the mainstay since that um, game against Leicester, which we don't want to uh, want to mention, but you've got. Are you picking McCarthy and goal, and then who who are you starting with uh, as a back four? Staying four two two two. No no major changes. Um, Redmond now back fit, so McCarthy and goal. Bertrand um, at left back. I think Techno is supposed to start at right back. Um, so I I think Kyle Walker Peters over there. Stevens at Benrack, uh, at central defence. Then Bertrand. And then Ward Prowse and Hoiberg, I give the, the armband to Ward Prowse. And Redmond and Armstrong up ahead of them. And then Ings and Long up top. I think that's the team. You know, you, you bring on Buffal later maybe for for someone. You you maybe give Obafemi and, and Adams uh, as three of the subs, I think, that, that would come in. And then you, you watch and make changes elsewhere uh, as things go. But I think if I was going to pick the team right now, that's what I would go with. But it's never that simple, so I'm sure something will change. I think that's. I think that is generally, without knowing what's happening on in, on the training ground and and fitness levels and and all the rest of it, I think that's generally the team that most 
intense fans would go with. Uh, I've just got the team in front of me from the last game against Newcastle before this this all happened. Uh, both the Saints and the Norwich team. We'll go on to Norwich a little bit as well. But McCarthy was in goal, obviously made that penalty save. Jan Valerie started at right back with Walker Peters on the bench, um, which was a bit of a rarity because I think Jan Valerie had been out for quite a while and was just coming back into the fold. So it was Valerie at right back, uh, Stevens, Bednarak and Bertrand, as you said, for the rest of that back four. Bukfau started on one wing with uh, Gineppo starting the game on the other, but obviously got that red card. Ward-Prowse and, and Hobier, who was obviously the captain at that point, um, they were in central midfield with Long and Ings as that um, partnership up front. So a couple of changes really for, for you, Matt, just uh, just down the right-hand side. But Walker Peters, you, who you would argue would have that starting place ahead of Jan Valerie. Probably he, he, he was out with an injury just coming back was Walker Peters. And Armstrong for Buffal. Obviously, with Armstrong's form in that previous friendly he wasn't on the bench so I think he was out injured but it, it's, it'll be interesting to see where Buffal fits into this for me because he he was actually starting to come into form and showing glimpses and more consistency of that player that we've all wanted to see at St Mary's and he he was starting to look really good in a couple of games towards the end of that season I think I think it was the Aston Villa game I might be wrong but there was certainly a game. It was a game that he went off injured, actually. And in the first half, I think both... Yeah, I think it was Villa because I think each of us had an injury. And Buffal was absolutely tormenting them. And it was the kind of Buffal that I'd hoped to see. Uh, we've been patient with. But it was really interesting to see, especially with No Gineppo, how much of an impact he can have on the rest of this season. But yeah, Redmond coming in is, is obviously the biggest news uh, in terms of uh, injury layoff. He'll be big for us, but I mean, you, you're you're a big advocate of of Gineppo, Tom. Do you think missing him for those first few games against Norwich, Arsenal, and Watford will be uh, will be important? Have a big impact on on what we can get from those three games. I think that Gineppo is a fantastic player, and I think we will we will miss him. But I think the amount will be we will miss him will not be as much as it could have been because we'll have Redmond back. And Redmond is arguably behind Ings as Saints' best attacking player, and he's been a, a consistent threat. And we've had, I found in the games leading up to um, the pause that we, we missed him. And we did have Jennifer and Buffal available, but Redmond brings something different to the team. As soon as he gets the ball, he's taking it forward. Now, I know Jennifer does that as well, but Redmond has the ex- the Premier League experience. He knows what direction to take it forward. Jennipo tries to take it round many players, whereas Redmond knows that he has the pace to just drive on at defenders, and that can, that that scare that scares them. So I think we won't miss him as much as we could have done because if we were missing both Redmond and Jennipo, then I think their our, t- our attacking threat, especially for games against Norwich and Watford, would be completely diminished, and we'd struggle to break them down. No. I know Buffal has been finding some sort of form, but when he's missed both Redmond and Jennifer, and it's just been him to be, provide that creative spark, it's not been there. And that's just what, what I've seen. One player that I don't think was involved in the Bristol City friendly uh, was Shane Long. And I don't know if he's injured, but you'd imagine that he would have been involved in some capacity, whether I've just missed him and he, he, he did take part. But if that's the case, do we put 
Shay Adams up with Danny Ings, or are we going for, um, well, recently Golden Boy nominee Michael Oberfemi, who's in the top 100 best young players in the, in world football at the moment? Matt, what, who would you replace Long if he's not not available for this one? Um, well, I think I think it has to be Oberfemi, even though... I, I, if, you, if you're trying to just pair up types of game, maybe maybe it would be Adams that would be the better the better fit. But if you, if you look kind of back at, at I guess the the way Saints have played and the way Ings has played alongside Adams, it hasn't always worked. And so I think uh, let Obafemi go up there and 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 do the running and do the hard charging and and you know allow Ings to kind of maybe save himself a little bit. Um, talking to to Carl Anker on on this week's episode that was one of the things that Carl brought up is is Long allows Ings to play 90 minutes because Long will go do all of that running so I think Obafemi better suited to go do that um go chase down the ball go chase the ball in the channel and all that stuff whereas Adams is quick uh, but is probably stronger and plays better with his back to goal than than Obafemi does necessarily so I, I would go with Obafemi even though if you in, in the short kind of couple of highlights that we had from that uh that, that Bristol match um you know he did miss a couple of chances but um in that case it's it's just like long so it's all good i think uh it would be interesting to see and you, you make a good point with if, if long wasn't involved i don't know i don't know who drew up that list of 100 but i'm yet to see uh i yet to see any reason why the femi's going to be uh, anywhere near the, the sort of top of that list but he's um, he does offer something completely different to che adams we're all hoping that we can see that goal the Che Adams before the end of the season because I think once he gets one, it'll be it'll be a different player and he has he has impressed me with other parts of his game, just not uh, just not in front of goal. What I'd be quite interested to see is I I think if Will Smallburn played in every, any other position, I think he'd be starting the game uh, against Norwich. I think he's coming in to a position where we're probably at our strongest, and you've got Ward Prowse who who's one of the first names on the team sheet. And so would Hoybier be, potentially, but we'll come on to that and the captaincy and everything else. What Ralph did do was played, and he's done this before with both those central midfielders, he played Hoybier against Bristol City for, I think, a good hour at right back. And Will Smallbone played next to James Ward-Prowse. And I just wonder if he might have had the Norwich game in mind um, and, and the way in which he can fit all three of those players in because Will Prowse played there when he had to had Zahar in his pocket as we all know and he can play there but I think Hoybier is is now the, the preferred choice to fill in there if he needs to and I wonder if up against the likes of Cantwell on that side he is more of a combative competitive ball winner than the likes of certainly Valerie and maybe Cole Walker-Peters and it's a way in which he doesn't have to change the system but he can still fit players in because I've seen Hoiberg play at left back and right back under Harsen Hetzel and, and, um, and he does like to use players for their versatility but I could potentially see that happening because I do think he's got a real eye on Will Smallbone and uh, from what he did in that friendly he looks like he's ready to go from the off don't know what your thoughts are on on something quite so abstract i think the well i mean we do have right back so it, it would certainly speak volumes if if we're not going to utilize either of them and stick a central midfielder at right back but obviously we've seen that this season the most enjoyable performance as you said was of ward prowse against crystal palace because of the the winding up of zaha every single time worked a treat it would be interesting if he was to prefer hoiberg at that right back position because i think that would also highlight how hasenhutl says to his view on hoiberg is look 
we know that you're not going to sign another year or that's what we expect. Therefore, you're going to do, as I say, you're not going to get your preferred position and I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick you in this position and you're going to have to, you're going to have to work there because Will Smallbone is going to, I'm looking at him to take your place and sit alongside Ward Prowse. I don't know, Matt, is that, is that a view that you shared? Do you think that if Hoybier was to start at right back against Norwich, that it sort of highlight how his importance to the first team and maybe stripping him of the captaincy, that it is how Hasenhutl is viewing him for the rest of the season? I think, you know, one part of me thinks, you know, it's building for the future and that's good. And part of me thinks that it would be, it would be really harsh by Ralph to do that. Uh, you know, oh, you don't want to play here. You don't want to sign the contract extension. Like, and then so you punish the player by playing him out of position. I'm not sure that does anything for us in terms of potentially getting us a, a decent fee for him in the window if, if, when the window does happen. Um, I'm not sure that makes the team stronger. That's that's my kind of, I guess that's my worry about it. I, I would want the team to be the strongest it can be. And although I think Smallbone w- has the potential, you look at how many minutes Ward Prowse and, and Hoiberg were able to play over over the course of the season in central midfield together. And then you wonder like, can they do it Thursday, Sunday? You know, can they play those those all those minutes? So maybe maybe Smallbone will, will have the opportunity to play even if Hoiberg uh, does play in central midfield. But I, I would I would think that you know Ward Prowse did play just fine over there. But if he's going to be the captain going forward you don't necessarily want to, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't want him playing out of position all the time. I think we look so much better when we have an, an actual right back playing right back versus when we have a center back playing over there or uh, even even more Prowse playing over there who, who didn't play poorly, but I, I, I think we'll miss him in the middle of the field, if, if that makes sense. Let me, let me flip that on his head a little bit then, because I, w- I would suggest that the reason for maybe playing Hoiberg right back is 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 to spite him in any way. I don't think that's okay. something that Arsenal would do. Arsenal has, since he's been at St Mary's, wrongly or rightly at times, played players out of position and you'd, you'd get a line-up and you try and figure out who on earth is playing where and all of a sudden Hoibier's starting at left-back and you, you you don't know why. And he has been known to tinker with that a little bit, less so since he changed from the wing-back system. But I just wanted to make a little point with um, this new uh, kind of dimension of, of trying to keep players fit and get as many minutes out of them as possible. Maybe he wants his current captain, Hoibier, and the likes of Ward Prowse to be on the pitch for as many minutes as possible. And if it means conserving him by playing him at right back in a back four rather than playing him in central midfield one game and then having to bench him for the next, then um, then even though he's not in his preferred position, he gets he still gets his influence, which is the, you know his influence is in, and his impact on others is, is as big as asset as we've mentioned before. So sure. it would just interest me, but I, I think Ralph tries to be inventive and finding ways to get his best eleven players on the pitch, and I do think. It's a matter of time before before Will Smallbone is fits into that bracket. We'll just quickly go through the opposition because obviously certain we, we've got a say in horses for courses. So certain players will play against certain teams, like you mentioned, with the likes of Adams or Obafemi against that defence. Um, I'll just run through their last game, which was also a one 0 defeat away at Sheffield United but they were they were unfortunate Dean Henderson was on fire that game but they got Tim Crawl in goal they play a back four Aarons Hanley Godfrey and Lewis two holding midfielders in Tessie and McLean and then uh, Buendia Cantwell and Duda who was signed in January uh, who seems to have made an impact they all play just behind Timu Pukki who obviously 
start the season so well. We do generally look at Norwich and say they're a handful going forward and pretty poor at the back. Although they've been in a position where they are, it's actually that they've got the worst goal-scoring return with Newcastle 25 goals this season. So is the best way to get three points to go up there and attack them? And if is that a reason, therefore, to maybe play the likes of, of Will Smallbone and James Ward-Prowse, who both got more going forward than the likes of Hoyberg? How Where do you see the game being won and lost against that? That sort of team, Matt. Well, I would say that our defense hasn't had a stellar season. So although they can't score and we can't defend, I don't know how that works out in over the course of 90 minutes. But uh, that probably says to me that we need to worry less about they're playing at home. And generally, that would mean that they would go forward and attack, which would leave them open to you know, the counter and things like that. But I think maybe this is the game where you worry less about that defensive stability and you just concentrate on on maybe attacking going forward. So maybe this is a game where you do play Hoiberg uh, at right back because maybe he won't be you know as tested going forward, maybe. But it's it's difficult to tell. And then you have Smallbone and Ward-Prowse able to, uh, to to play the ball forward and hopefully um, create create some opportunities for, for Ings and uh, the other guys playing in front of them to, to be able to score. Uh, but I think that's that's probably what I would do because then if you, if you look forward to to Thursday, you know you have Arsenal. Maybe that's the 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 time when you need the more defensive lineup, um, or maybe it's just a you know maybe a bit more physical lineup. And so maybe that's when you want an actual right back at right back, and then you can flip it around again a little bit going forward from there against Watford. But uh, I don't know. Does that does that make sense to you, or, or does that seem yeah the, the, the wrong approach? Uh, it makes sense to me. I'm interested, Tom, in, in, in what your thoughts are because you. Despite their lack of goals, you do look at that team and say Buendia, Cantwell, Puki, with the introduction of Dudu, has made an impact. That's you know, that's that's the worry, especially against our leaky defence. And, and do we worry more about that, or do we look at that back four or five and say, look, if we attack them, we can get a couple of goals early on, and we can um, we can force them back. How do you see the game being won or lost? I think it is one of those games where Saints can actually afford to attack. I agree with Matt, as shown in the friendly against Bristol. Saints started very fast. They got a goal inside the first minute. Now, I doubt that Norwich are going to uh, have the same defensive howler as Bristol City did, although their defence is is pretty poor. I think this is a game where, like Matt said, we can afford to lose a bit of defensive solidarity and go for the win because as we we need we only need a, a win or two just to cement our position in the Premier League for next season. And I feel that. Norwich at home, Norwich, uh, they're going to want to attack. I mean, regardless of whether fans are there or not, it's a game that they were, they're thinking, I mean, Norwich's running isn't very, isn't very appetising for them in terms of staying up. Um, They're going to think Southampton at home, this is a game that we need to be picking up points from if we have, if we want to have any chance of, of survival. So I think that they will go from the off, they will attack Saints and I think that will fall into Saints' hands, really, that would be perfect for them because they found, especially away from home, we found that Saints are much stronger. They picked up more points away from home than uh, that at St. Mary's. And they do that by allowing teams to come at them and then catching them on the break. And it's not been a plucky one-goal win performance. It's been a, the Saints have managed to play that system so well that these are games that at the end of the day we're thinking how have Saints not won that by four or five because they seem to be so effective at going forward the Leicester game 
was probably the standout one for me and that we, we they're a team in the top four but they, we've had that embarrassing result against them and Saints have played that game of getting them on the counter Leicester have hardly had a sniff and Saints have ended up almost coming away with three or four goals scored I think it's we still need to keep an eye on their attacking players and Campwell and Pookie because you know they're still dangerous Pookie Saints seemingly had the game at home against Norwich under control 2-0 up and then suddenly Pookie was through and he only needs one chance and to get one back so they do need to be aware of that but I think Ralph is going to have them going from the off they'll want to start strong and I think I, I personally think Saints are going to win this one I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw but my I, I, I do think Saints are going to edge edge this game against Norwich. I don't know, Matt, how you feel. The uh, What would be your score prediction? Yeah, I think we have the ability to win it, but that's also saying you know, we haven't had seen any football. We have no idea who's, you know, how everything's going to look. But uh, I would I would think that we would get a win specifically because Norwich have not been, uh, they've shown themselves over the course of the season so far not to be, you know, defensively reliable. Uh, they've conceded the same number of goals we have, and we've seen how that's gone for us. And of course, we had that Leicester City defeat that that, that throws that number fairly, fairly uh, you know, up there. Um, and then they're not that great going forward, so that kind of plays into our hands. They're at home, they need points, you know, a draw doesn't really suit them if they're going to try to stay, survive. And so they're going to need to come forward. They're not necessarily, it's not Manchester City coming forward because the, those players are just so technically gifted and probably better than, than what we have and so it's kind of the best case scenario for us we're away to a team who needs points who has to attack who just aren't that good that should mean that we can beat them but we all know how that kind of goes uh, when as soon as we think uh, that we can win so I, mean, I, I just really hope that we, we actually do it I'm slightly more cautious I don't know if that's just the Saints fan in me but I just I see I don't if you could pick a team to come back and play against you could quite easily say oh well Saints have got the team that have rock bottom of the, of the league and miles away from everyone else so that's a great first game back I don't see it that way I see I don't think there'll be many teams more motivated, ready to come back than Norwich they would have been sat there in the last three months saying right let's let's get everything together let's have a look at the games we've got coming up we need five wins from these next nine games where are we going to get them you know they'll be they'll be saying a first game back against Southampton is already a must win Whereas for Saints, we're talking about potentially letting players have day off, letting someone play at right back who, who maybe shouldn't, maybe swapping the team around here and there to rest players. I think Norwich, they come back and they've got Saints at, at home, followed by Everton at home, first two games. So I think they'll be looking at those and thinking, we, we, you know, we can go at them and if we can get six points or maybe even just four, I, I think they're going to have a real being a bonnet and I think they'll I think they will attack us early on. It's just whether or not we've got the organisation and the defence to cope with that and uh, and can kind of weather that storm early. Because you see it so many times a team comes at you that, that really needs the the win and they can it just takes one of those chances early on to go in but how often do you see it that 30 minutes in and they've had five or six really good chances but it's just been their season that they can't finish them off. And then a, a team with Danny Ings goes up the other up the other end and, and takes the lead before half time so I can see uh, I, you know, I take a point from this game if I'm perfectly honest I think there'll be easier games on the horizon for Saints we'll just touch on this quickly because there'll probably be a talking point and we've, we've mentioned it slightly up to this point does uh, two questions does Hoiberg start anywhere on the pitch does he, does he start in the first game back and is he captain or are we assuming that James Will Prowse has now got that Will Prowse captained the side in that friendly and Hoiberg was in the team so my money's on, uh, on Will Prowse being the club's captain 
certainly for now. Are we saying that he's going to be the captain and Hoiberg is expected to start, Matt? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that Ralph, I, I have no reason to, to think that Ralph won't do exactly what he, what he said. And he has kind of said it's difficult to give him the armband without the commitment. I think Hoiberg has to understand that. So yeah, Ward Prowse to captain. And, and I'm, I, I want, I think there's the, the only debate is, is do you have your best 11 players on the pitch, no matter how you get them on there, or do you play the best player in each position? And I think that that will determine where Hoiberg plays, but I think he'll definitely be on the pitch. Tom, do you think uh, if, if it's a choice between Will Smallbone and Hoiberg and one has to be on the pitch and one has to be on the bench, uh, what would you do and what do you think Ralph would do? I personally think that, let, let's not let's not discount here, that Hoiberg is still a very good player to have an arm midfield. He's been... He's been decent in in a number of games this season, and Will Smallbone still is lacking that Premier League experience. He's only had a few few games under his belt, whereas Hoybier does bring that ball winning fight to the side. I think that Smallbone would bring more composure in the attacking third. We certainly saw that in the friendly, whereas Hoybier seen, as you said in a previous podcast, that Hoybier tends to get to the edge of the penalty area and then completely either snatch at the pass or snatch at the shot. I'm having Ward Prowse as captain. I think that's what's going to happen going forward. I think whatever's gone on behind the scenes, it's clear that Ward Prowse is, is going to be where the armband on the pitch. Obviously, I think Hoybier and Smallbone are both going to get time on the pitch. I think that's pretty obvious that that's going to happen because you can't expect one player to to play every single game when there are so many games in such a short space of time. Yeah, I, I feel I I, I I would still start Hoybier. It it purely on the fact that that would just be consistent team picking, as it were. Well, Browns and Hoybier know each other's games, and I think until we are safe, it would be foolish to try and experiment at in what is arguably the most important pitch, uh, important position on the pitch. Anyway, going, we actually have a listener question for this week's episode. This is from AJ and Matt. How do you think that empty stadiums will affect the players? Well, I mean, if we, we take what we've seen in the Bundesliga and, and just apply it to the Premier League, I think it means that the home field advantage kind of goes out the window a little bit. But I, I also think that when Saints play at home, that it will take some of the pressure off because in the home form over the past few seasons hasn't been great. And, and we're all trying to figure out kind of why that is. But maybe this just means that Saints can go out and play. Maybe the communication seems a bit easier. Maybe it just, you know, my, my fear is that it, it suddenly like the game takes a, you know, a step back in terms of intensity because the crowd, you know, going at you either in, or, or supporting you will kind of push you forward and urge the team forward. And I think it increases the intensity a little bit. So I think maybe we'll see the teams kind of, you know, maybe maybe the intensity won't quite be there for some of these matches, especially given, you know, we, we won't have, yeah, you look you look down the fixture list and there, there aren't really any big rivalry matches coming right away for us. So I think we'll kind of see how that that, that goes. But I, I think maybe the intensity may, may quite not, not quite be there. And then I would say maybe the home in a way form, you just throw that out the window and it's just the two teams playing against each other it kind of doesn't matter where, where it happens. Yeah, and Callum, obviously we've discussed this question about how we think an empty stadium will affect the players, but I want to add, uh, uh, put a little twist on it. Shea Adams, do you think that he may actually be able to score without the crowd there, knowing that, because I feel he's not dealt with the pressure as well as he as well as he could have done. Do you think that a lack of a crowd, we may actually see the best of Shea Adams in the final part of the season? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for the 
the question, AJ, is, is an interesting point. First of all, yeah, I do think Trey Adams might be a beneficiary of this because he certainly was able to score goals in front of no one uh, in pre-season. It didn't often take him very long. Um, I think as soon as you go on a little run as a striker of not scoring, especially at a level you've not played against, I think your confidence and your, um, your confidence goes down and there's self-doubt creeps in and it becomes a big thing every time he's in on goal that he needs to score. I don't think that will be the case. And I think if you try and imagine it, and we've seen the Bundesliga, if you try and imagine you know, being in our positions in St Mary's and you're in a, you're in a ground that is empty, and you're just playing a football match, 11 against 11, with all the subs and whatever. But from Chadman's point of view, I'm just starting to think that it's, it's less of a big deal. All he's got to do is put the football in the net, and it becomes so so simplistic. So I do think that will make a change for him. I think, we, I mean, we've covered the empty stadium and, and what Matt said um, in terms of a lack of fans and Saints' poor form, I concur with, with all of it. I think, I think it will be strange for everyone, players and fans watching at home. I just I just wanted to go into a bit of detail into more of the logistics than uh, we've covered the, the, the fan impact. But a, a set of rules have been, uh, or guidelines have been sort of given to players for when the action resumes. So you're not going to have any players. They're not going to have any fans. <laughs> we definitely have some players. But there won't be any fans. And, um, and also there won't be any ball boys. So I, I would expect that they'll, the time wasting will take... On a, on a complete other level when it comes to the end of games. Uh, we're just pumping every football into Rose Ed and, and, and wasting some time. Um, but players have been told, as expected, uh, no handshakes before the game, maintaining distance during goal celebrations, but also not not encroaching on referees, as players tend to do when, when decisions are given against them. No spitting or nose clearing. I don't see how that one's going to work, to be honest. They've got to use hand sanitizers before and after every match. There'll be interval halfway between midway through the first half and the second half. So every every quarter effectively, which is a nice reference to American sport. But every every quarter they're gonna have a, a, a drinks break where they can um, where they'd have to take water from their own bottles. And they've got to try and restrict interaction after the match. So no walking off the pitch, no swapping shirts, no talking behind your hand into someone's ear and all that sort of nonsense nonsense that you see. But there's gonna be things before the game and, and you know, they've been told to take certain routes into the grounds. They've been told that they're gonna to have to um, expand the size of the changing rooms because you've got to keep that kind of distance, although I don't really understand that because you're gonna be right next to each other during a game. But there are all these different things. So although the fans and the lack of is gonna have a big impact on um, on the actual playing, they're going to. I just hope there aren't going to be so many things on the players' minds, um, and they can just try and concentrate on the football rather than worrying that they they need to you know clear their nose or their mouth and they can't spit anywhere or they're wondering what they've done with their own water bowl because they can't have someone else's and, and all and all the rest of it. Hopefully, they all just get tested before the game. They're confident that everyone on the pitch. And then the dugouts is negative and we can have a football match that doesn't involve fans. Obviously, the other thing is the substitutes as well will be different. You can now have five subs to be used, to be made at a maximum of three occasions, not including half-time. So we've got football back, but it will be different. But I think the main thing is that we've 
we're going to have football back as of tomorrow and we're going to have Saints back as of 6pm our time. Uh, I'm, I'll make that 10am 10, 10 West Coast California time for you, Matt. What are your plans? Well, technically I'm supposed to be working, but I will take my lunch break during the game. So uh, <laughs> we're going to make that that happen. And yeah, 10 a.m. is a, a different kickoff time. It's usually part of the nice thing is, is a 3 p.m. kickoff is just just means that I get up, I make coffee, I sit down and watch the match. And by the time I'm done, everybody is awake and then we go about our day. I'm either in a really good mood or a really bad mood. And, and now this will be get up, do that, probably do something with the family and then settle in and watch the match and then get back to work. So I'm, I'm just hoping, you know, I have to grade some essays afterwards, so hopefully I'm uh, I'm not too harsh on the kids after after all of that. You must absolutely love a, a half past twelve kickoff because it's going to be like half past four in the morning for you. Do you just yeah. that one later on, or do you try to stay up, or do you go back to bed? How does that work? No, so I, for a long time I got up at four a.m. just every day, and that was before it was before I even watched football. So it was it was just a it was like well, just make it your normal weekday routine. Just your weekend routine is no big deal. But I don't do that as much anymore. I have, since this this whole coronavirus thing, I haven't really set an alarm. So I've been waking up between six thirty and seven most days. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. Knowing that I can watch it on replay now, I, I will probably only get up if it's a Saints game at that time, not not for anybody else. I don't I don't care. I don't care to watch anybody else at that time. And Tom, you've got your granddad down, so you're going to... Uh, it's free-to-air over here, we should mention as well, be on uh, Scott Sports Free-to-Air, which I believe will be on Pick TV, which is that channel number 11 on Freeview that no one ever watches because there's never anything on it. So... Um, so I, I guess you and your granddad and whoever else will be uh, we sat around the TV after work on Friday, uh, ready to watch the game. Absolutely, I'll have might might order in a pizza, might get a takeaway. Who knows? But um, it'll, be, it'll just feel good to have Saints back, have football back, and I could, any pent up frustration uh, of having no football over the past few months will probably come out when uh, Norwich start time wasting from the first goal kick. <laughs> yeah, and of course we've got it's a double header, so you can watch the Saints game. With your takeaway, maybe have a beer, and then of course you've got that big game between uh, Spurs and Man United afterwards. So it's all going to start. It's all going to begin. You're going to have game after game after game. Something that we're not used to, but we're definitely looking forward to. Really appreciate you coming on, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for being our debut guest. We've talked. We've kept you far too long. We've talked for far too long about far too many things. I'm not sure. But no, we really appreciate it. I mean, me and Tom have both been on, on your podcast before and really enjoyed it. And you know, you've got some great insight. It's great to, to hear from uh, from yourself and on the other side of the pond. I hope everyone's keeping well over there and uh, and not struggling too much with everything. Just just a quick reminder for, for our listeners, Matthew Markstone, the SFC delivery podcast so on uh, on twitter and on instagram you can you can follow matt at sfc d-e-l-l underscore i-v-e-r-y so that's at sfc dow underscore delivery and you're on episode 178 of the podcast so we've got a few to be catching up with you yet but um yeah you you, you get guests in all the time um as i said me and tom have been on there so it's uh it's great to be on there and it's a great listen as well so um yeah well, we really appreciate you coming on it's uh it's got to be all times it over there now so it's about 11 o'clock now so you should be i'm sure we've got the, uh, the kids uh, screaming at you to uh to do something with them but we'll um yeah, we'll let you let you go, but really appreciate you you coming on, and I'm sure we'll um, we'll speak to you in the future. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to say thank you for inviting me on. It's it's always a pleasure to be involved with other podcasts and other Saints podcasts. Um, I like 
kind of everything about podcasting. So it's, it's always, and, and I like everything about saints and, and I enjoy talking to you guys. So I appreciate the, the chance to do it. And yeah, and, and you guys are always welcome on the show. And uh, I, I look forward to, to chatting with you guys again in the future. Yeah, it's been fantastic to have you on, Matt. Thank you very much for coming on and for sharing our excitement for uh, Southampton to uh, play against Norwich is just around the corner. Hopefully we will reconvene after the game and it will be a good start for Saints, a good win. But knowing Southampton... It will probably be a three 0 defeat. Saints have had reduced. To, Saints have been reduced to ten men. Ralph has been sent to the stands, and uh, it's we'll we'll be thinking. Uh, and it, it all starts with uh, Southampton having a uh, a clear penalty dev- denied by VAR in the first ten minutes that would have put them one 0 up. And we'll be saying, uh, yeah, well. Yes, so uh, we've got all of that to look forward to and we'll probably, uh, hopefully we're not saying after 90 minutes, I bloody hate football, why did I even want it to come back? So, uh, but we really appreciate you coming on, love every time going on your show and uh, it's great to, thank you very much for being our our first guest. Yeah, yeah, sorry for the rambling again, Um, hopefully uh, hopefully it comes across a little better Uh, (laughs) once I'll edit it down, but I appreciate it and I'm willing to do it whenever you guys need. I can't believe Tom just mentioned... uh... The, the prediction of a potential 3-0 loss bringing back horrible memories for, for, for yourself <laughs> well you know there's no first time Saints fan there to, to experience it so it would be right if Saints did that to, to us on TV thank you for coming on thanks as always Tom we'll, we'll try bring something to you uh, after the Saints game obviously we've got uh, Norwich and we've got Arsenal just under a week later but yeah really appreciate you coming on Matt thanks and good luck with everything with the uh, with the podcast hope everything's okay as we mentioned during during this time over in the States and thank you guys for listening any listener questions like AJ we'll, we'll read out and we'll try and answer for you on our next podcast not sure yet if that's going to be a all things football all things Saints we might just have a look at a, a bit of a round up of the, uh, of the first set of games and see how that lack of fans is really going to impact everything and where we're going with the rest of the season but thanks for listening in my name's Callum Wilson you can find me on Twitter at Callum Wilson 21 my name's Tom Murray and you can find me on Twitter at T214Murray and you can find the Under the Likes podcast on Twitter at under underscore Saints Thank you very much for listening and hopefully as Saints fans, we will all be celebrating a good restart to the season and a good three points. Until then, keep safe and come on you Reds.